Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Rees points to the path to intimacy with God. Jesus never forces himself upon a non-believer to be saved. And Jesus never forces his fellowship on you. You must invite him. You must ask him. He's a perfect gentleman. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 12 through 12 says. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For richer or poorer, in good times and bad, these promises common to most wedding vows describe a commitment that will strengthen over time and through thick and thin. And so it is with our relationship with Jesus as well. It's in trusting Him during the periods of doubt, confusion, and hopelessness that God is able to reveal Himself to those that love Him. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 and join Pastor Xavier as Jesus is a living witness to these simple truths to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in a study titled, Who Does Jesus Reveal Himself To? Let's listen. Luke chapter 24 We're going to look at verses 13 through 35. In the message entitled, Jesus Desires to Reveal Himself. The account of the two walking on the road to Emmaus presents us three reasons why Jesus reveals himself to man. To walk with man, verse 13 through 16. To walk with man. Second, to talk with man, verse 17 through 27. And thirdly, to sup with man, verse 28 through 35, or dine with him, to eat. And so... God desires to walk with you and with myself. The two individuals were disciples of Jesus. Notice in verse 13, behold, the two were traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which uh, was seven miles away. Notice in verse 14, the two individuals were discussing the events uh, regarding Jesus in Jerusalem, and they uh, talked together all these things that had happened. As we're going to see, it progresses to find out that the demeanor is really not that of great hope. They had seen Jesus riding to Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, Zechariah 9.9, fulfilling the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed comes in the name of the Lord. They were thrilled. They were ready to expect the kingdom to be established, but instead Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified, and put in the tomb. As they're traveling, Jesus just walks up. So they, they just look at him as, they didn't even recognize him as Jesus, as a matter of fact. Their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. A divine empowerment to just conceal them for the set purpose in mind that Jesus here is going to reveal. It's the same thing that is going to happen in verse 31 as he will open their eyes. We have various accounts of Jesus when he appeared and he wasn't recognized. Uh, Mark 16, 12 says, and by the way, Mark 16, 12 is a commentary on this event that only Luke records. Listen, he says, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. This is the occasion. And John tells us Mary Magdalene thought Jesus was the gardener in John 20, 15. So for God's purposes and that, he, he kind of just veiled their, their eyes. Secondly, Jesus reveals himself to talk with man. In 17 to 20, Jesus wanted to talk to them about their sadness. Jesus asked the two the topic of their conversation and why they were so grieved. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this between you? You're having with one another and, and you're walking and are sad. 
Now the Lord wasn't asking for information. He knew exactly. He wanted them to pour his heart, their heart out to him. When we go to prayer, he doesn't need information. He wants me to pour my heart out to him. That's what he wants. Jesus was responding to their need. And Jesus was responded to with amazement. Then one of those who was Cleopas here in verse 18 answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happen here these days? Astonished, Cleopas asked if he were a stranger in Jerusalem. Are you coming from out of town? Were you from the moon? And he said to them, What things? (laughs) And then both in verse 20 told about the betrayal of the death of Jesus and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Notice they, they put their finger on the true culprits, their, their, their chief priests and all their religious rulers. Jesus told Pilate, the one who delivers me to you has a greater guilt. Yes, Rome crucified him, but it was the Jews who turned him in. That's why Jesus condemned them and pronounced judgment for 70 A.D. Look at 21. Jesus wanted to talk to them about their loss of hope. Both of them had placed their confident trust in Jesus to be the Messiah. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. The word but is a sharp conjunction here contrasting the two. It stands in sharp contrast to the high hope of redeeming Israel and the crushing hopelessness of his death in the previous verse. Gone. And they said, if all this was not bad enough, besides all this, worse yet, it's the third day. He says concerning the affirmed report by the women of the tomb. They're they're trying to make sense of this stuff. Well, Jesus said this, this happened, that happened. We were up here, he said this now. And these crazy women, they said, what are we going to do this? Yes, and certain women of our company, so they're all believers. Jesus appeared to Mary and told her not to cling to him because he had not ascended to the Father in John 20, 16 through 17. Remember? Now notice they acknowledge their ability to make any sense of all of this. They were unable. Astonished us. Dumbfounded. In wonderment. They're dealing with this. He's right beside them. They don't even know. Doesn't that sound familiar? You go through your most difficult trial. You're going there, and you're just all there, you know, and you're not even aware Jesus is right next to you. But also notice concerning the confirmed witness of the apostles in verse 24. Peter and John were the apostles, as we'll see. It says, And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. There in verse 23. You confirm this in the 12th verse of this chapter. And also John chapter 20, verse 3 through 4. John and Peter ran to the tomb and they found it empty. And when they got there, John stooped down, looked in. Peter just rushed in and then John followed him. He saw and he believed. John 20, 5 through 8 says. John was the first one to believe. Others did not. Notice now in verse 25 through 27, Jesus wanted to talk to them about their lack of understanding about God's word. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The word foolish means without sense of understanding. He's reproving them intellectually. He stated the cause of their unbelief. Don't miss it. Slow of heart to believe. The heart, cardia. 
That's always the problem. It's always with our heart, the seed of personality, the emotion, the intellect, the will. They believed in a conquering Messiah, but they had no room for a suffering Messiah. What was the problem? Their heart. And that's always my problem. Once my heart gets right, the things still remain the same, but they're okay. We can handle them now. It's the heart. He reproved them for misunderstanding the first coming of Jesus. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Yes. The prophecy of the suffering Messiah, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and many others. Ought. The word is necessity, obligation. The same word for Acts 4.12. There is no other name given under heaven or whereby men must, ought be saved. It's not a suggestion. The prophecy of entering his glory would follow, but the suffering would come first. See, usually we want the glory, but we don't like the suffering. The suffering comes first, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't put us through suffering just to make us hurt, but he puts us through things to refine us, to make us more like him. That we might cry out to him, pour our heart out to him. See, the problem is, as long as you keep finding people to hear you, you're not going to go talk to God. So people talk to this guy, that guy, everything, else, this and that, and everything, and then they're more confused. You and I need to go to God. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself in the glory which I had before the world was. First the humiliation, the cross, now the glorification. He said at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, brings us to chapter 12. The beginning says that um, for the joy that was set before me endured the cross, despising the shame. Many times that's interpreted to mean that Jesus saw the benefit on all people who would be saved. But if you look at the context, I disagree with that. I believe that the context is that he, the joy that was set before me was going to be reunited with the Father again. He had been separated for the first time, the only time. He never had any doubts about the atonement. He was going to be reunited with the Father. <laughs> now, if you've been gone from somebody a long time and you see them again, you know the joy. That's what it's all about. And notice he instructed them by pointing himself out in the Scriptures. I wish we had this record. The Holy Spirit deemed not to give it to us. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures that think concerning himself. Verse 27. First, the five books of Moses. Moses is, is the top priority. He's, he's, he's more important than the prophets follow. All of them, major and minor prophets. The word expound means to unfold the meaning, to unravel it, to explain it, to interpret it. Jesus said, look, here I am, here they are, here. this is for me, this is that. This. I mean, beginning with Genesis 3.15, all the way on down. Incredible. But what, what was he doing? The same thing he was doing every day he was here on earth. He communed with the Father every day. He would get up early and go pray. Disciples said, hey, teach us to pray. Jesus never did anything except the Father directed and guided him. He always went to the Father. He talked with him. That's what he wants to do with you and I. The minute you get up in the morning, what do you say? Oh, God. Or is it, oh, God, help me today. <laughs> It makes a big difference how you say, oh, God. <laughs> there will be times in our life of great sadness and disappointment, so we need to be talking to God daily so that when the difficult times come, we continue to do what we've always done. That's the important thing about sending men to boot camp and to put them under severe traumas, if you will, for warfare, so that when they're in the midst of it, they will function exactly the same. 
If you're looking for a plush life with those difficult times come, you're going to be crushed. It could be your job situation or maybe that uh, you finished school and you put a lot of money on. Now you can't get a job. It could be your marriage. It didn't turn out the way you expected it. You got to work through it. You got to wait through some things. You got to seek the Lord. You got to eat some crow. It could be the path your children have chosen to walk away from God as you've protected them, raised them, and prayed for them, and you can't understand it. The worst thing today is I see a lot of parents, as their children begin to deviate, the parents follow. Parents, you are a lighthouse. Your children walk away. You be that lighthouse, stable, standing. They always know you're there, praying for them. You don't move. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you know the context of that verse? God is telling this Jeremiah to the people when he's about to put them into captivity of 70 years. And they're scratching their head. How are you going to bring us back? He says, don't worry. It's not your problem. I'll take care of that. <laughs> it's nothing difficult for God. Whatever you're going through, he has an expected hope and end for you. But you've got to be that clay that yields to the potter. There will be times in our lives that you and I will be confused and think all hope is lost and there will be no one around to encourage you. You'll be all by yourself. Don't disappoint yourself. Be faithful to God. It could be that you've been receiving news that you've got a terminal illness or your husband, wife, or your child. It could be that your job has told you they're going to retire you early for the benefit of the company, certainly not for you. You fill in the blank. And no one's around but you. Then you must do like the psalmist says. Listen carefully. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Just looking to God will be all I need. And I have to rebuke myself. I have to reprove myself. I have to say no to Xavier. I must be the first one there. There should always be a very keen awareness of our lack of understanding regarding the scriptures, regardless of how long we've walked with God, how much we've studied. That we're dependent upon him as I read, that he speak to my heart. That when I study, I, I depend on him to illuminate my mind and my thoughts and to guide and, and make it personal for me. To listen to the teachings in this church so that, Lord, you speak to me, reprove me, rebuke me, guide me, check me, whatever it may be. That, that, that you may be the one that's directing me, that I'm, I'm obeying you and no one else. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 puts it this way. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired day than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and the keeping of them is great reward. The word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. If you did not have the word of God or I, we would be dead. Absolutely no compass. 
like a pilot just rolling all over, can't control that plane, and you know you're going to crash. Jesus reveals himself to talk with man. Thirdly, notice, Jesus reveals himself to sup with man, to eat, to dine with him. Verse 28 through 35. In 28 to 29, Jesus subs with those who personally invite him. Don't miss that. The two had arrived at Emmaus. They drew near the village where they were going, and seven miles, if you walk at a fairly normal pace, taking maybe an hour, a little bit over an hour. It's time for Jesus to depart from them. They're taken off in. But Jesus acted as if he was going to continue to travel, indicating that he would go farther. See, Jesus never forces himself upon a non-believer to be saved. And Jesus never forces his fellowship on you. You must invite him. You must ask him. He's a perfect gentleman. The two were concerned about Jesus traveling alone. But they constrain him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. The word constrain means to compel by force. Only one at a time in Acts 16, 15. You see, they asked Jesus to turn in the home with them because it was already night. It was dangerous to travel at night by yourself. Animals, robbers, everything else. And he says here, abide with us. This word means to continue to remain. Jesus used it in John 15, the vine and the branches. He who abides in me will bring forth much fruit. Now notice 30 to 31, Jesus opens the eyes of those who break bread with him. Notice the progression, the intimacy. I love it. And Jesus desires personal, intimate fellowship. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. The word sat means to recline. This is the Jewish manner. We've gone through it many times. They lean back on pillows, one elbow, and they sit at the table, low to the ground, and people sit around there. And um, they were comfortable. And notice that he's the host, even though he's invited. Jesus never takes a guest position. If you invite him in your heart, you have to get in the back seat. No more driving. He takes over. He acts as the master, breaks the bread, prays over it. He gives it to them. He reveals his presence. Their eyes are open. Miraculously, immediately, instantly, they knew him as he was Christ, the risen one. And then he vanishes. Wow, job is done. Their hopes, their fears, everything. Notice in 32, Jesus deals with the heart of man. The two bore witness of the work of Jesus in their heart. They said to one another, Don't our heart burn within us? Supernatural work. In a positive way. The ch- nothing had changed, but he was alive now. That made all the difference in the world. While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, notice in 33 to 35, Jesus having made himself known to the two, they had to tell others. They wasted no time. They got up, they rose that very hour. Regardless of the danger, it was night, it didn't matter to them anymore. Once you know Jesus is alive, then you're not afraid of death. <laughs> you do what you have to. They had to make it known. They found the 11, those who were with them, and those who gathered together in the 11 as a name for the group because Thomas wasn't there, John 20, 24 tells us. So it's just a name for the group, for the, those that like the 12. And they confirmed Jesus was alive. The Lord is risen indeed. 
And he appeared to Simon. So now the confirmation of the other one makes sense. And also verified by verse 12 of this chapter. Paul confirms it in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. And they witnessed about the personal experience of Jesus in their life. They told him all about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them by breaking bread. Their experience was valid only because it was biblical and scriptural. Whatever you experience, it must be biblical for it to be valid. Many people live their life by spiritual, emotional experiences that have no biblical context or validity, and they are wrong, and they start teaching things that are unbiblical. Remember Simon the Pharisee, Jesus revealed his heart as he was eating with him, and the woman came in. Simon, you see this woman? She was forgiven my so she loves much. The only way you're going to make it through life if your love for the Lord is first. If you fall in love with the Lord and spend time with the Lord, then everything else is going to work out. You're not going to have a problem with anything else. If you, if you don't stay in love with the Lord, then let me tell you, you're going to complain to him. You're going to whine everything else. You're going to think he gave you a, just a, 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 a second-hand bill of salvation. I'm sure that Jesus is more excited about fellowshipping with me than I with him, to my own embarrassment. He can, crowd us, he can be crowded out by my time, by my schedule, by my own plans, whatever it may be. I have to make that time. Psalm 5, 1 through 4 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to you, my voice, to you, my cry. My King, my God, for to you I will pray. The vo- by your voice shall hear me in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct to you. And I will look up. And you are not a God that takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you in the morning. You, how you begin your day. The old man's there, Satan's there. You must start with the Lord. The heart of the message of the gospel is the resurrection. Begin with the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost. He has risen. Death could not hold him. It's the heart of it. Paul says, if, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. The gospel's in vain. We're a bunch of liars. The people who have trusted in Christ have perished. And we are most of all men to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 on down to 19. The resurrection the hope of eternal life. The only way you can do all this again is to fall in love with Jesus. The Lord asked Jesus one day, which is the greatest commandment? He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Your neighbor is yourself. But the first is the greatest, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That is the key. If you don't stay on fire with the Lord in love, then everything will turn gray. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 12 through 12 says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord who made it, the Lord that formed and established it, the Lord is his name, call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. I still remember that sermon in Jeremiah 33, 1 through 3. Things that I know not. I, don't, I know very little. The more I study, the more I know, the less I know. There's so much to know. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. Jesus reveals himself to sup with man. He said to his disciples, the woman of Samaria, I, you, I have meat that you know not of. <laughs> Amazing. What a walk these two guys had on the road to Emmaus. Through that, we get the three reasons why Jesus reveals himself to man. To walk with man, to talk with man, and to sup with man. Simple, basic. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, putting into perspective our relationship with the Heavenly Father, who stands ready to reveal Himself to all those who put their trust in Him. Today's message, Who Does Jesus Reveal Himself To?, is available on CD for only $4. And we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So get one for yourself or someone you know that might need to hear this teaching. Once again, the title to ask for is, Who Does Jesus Reveal Himself To?, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Then join us for more Simple Truths from the Word of God next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 